Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. Today, I'm here with a new friend, Tori Hope Peterson. Tori is the mother of three. She's the founder of the Beloved Initiative, helping people learn how to love professionally. And she's the author of Fostered, a new book coming out this month. Her passion is not to be a voice for the voiceless, but to offer opportunities for the voiceless to raise their voice, which is exactly what Have Hope Will Travel is all about, getting to hear from voices we would not normally hear from. So Tori, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, when you reached out, I was like, I love the name of that podcast. Like, <laughs> it's so fun. And you. my middle name is Hope. And there's so much meaning behind why my mom uh, gave me that middle name. And it's a word that I've just held on to like mm-hmm. my entire upbringing. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear what your mom's reasoning was behind using the word hope. Yeah. So um, I was conceived out of abuse mm-hmm. and um, my mom went to the doctor and they told her that she uh, was diagnosed with HIV. And so she was obviously, you know, scared like anyone would be, um, but she prayed. She said, God, I, I pray that this baby has victory. And so that's mm-hmm. where Victoria came from. She said, Even if I don't have victory. I pray victory over this baby. Yeah. And then um, someone sent her a card with the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, mm-hmm. um, which says, I do not have plans to harm you, but plans to give you a future. Um, and um, she loved that scripture. And she was like, she just prayed again, Lord, you might not have a future for me. You might not have hope for me, but I just pray a future and a hope over this baby. So that's how she gave me the name Victoria Hope. Wow. What a beautiful, powerful name too. I think it's something that you're really living into. (laughs) Thank you. I do feel like what we speak over children, children are so malleable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like what we speak over them, they so easily become. And there were times, you know, my mom, she is diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia. So there were times that she was volatile. And I know that she said things that she regrets um, that were very hurtful over my identity, but Mm. I do think that the power of my name and her speaking that over me, um, had some kind of influence over my life. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk about a little bit about how you grew up because you weren't with your mom, your whole childhood. So would you be willing to share your like childhood story and journey? Yeah, I'll give you an overview and then we can figure out like which pieces we of course. (laughs) So um, I first went to the foster care system when I was three years old due to a drug bust. um, My mom was selling drugs in a city uh, with her boyfriend and it was like, like a lot. Um, I remember them when they came in, like these men in uniform, they were pulling things down from the wardrobe, like these huge bags. And it, like when I was little, I knew what it was, but didn't really know like the consequences regarding it. Mm-hmm. And then I went into the foster care system for the first time, was reunified with my mom. You know, I don't even think it was a year. Like okay. mom worked your case plan, got me back. Um, and then I lived with my mom up until I was an adolescent around 12 or 13. And then I went to the foster care system again, this time because of severe neglect and abuse my mom's mental illness, just like, as I got older, as time went on, like it just got worse and worse and worse. And, um, it just, I, I, at this time had a sister, she's 10 years younger than me. And, um, it just became like really detrimental to my sister. So we went to the foster care system together. 
-hmm. after our first home we were separated which was Mm -hmm. really hard I moved throughout 10 more foster homes and then I emancipated the day I turned 18 Mm -hmm. I was very very fortunate to have my track coach take me in and pour into me and love me Um, but the foster care system was um, a feat it was very difficult I bet Let's define terms first. So what does it mean that you emancipated when you turned 18? Yes. Okay. So when a youth in the foster care system turns 18, there is this myth, okay, that says they get kicked out of the foster care system. That is not true. Um, That used to be the case, like in the 90s, like probably maybe in the early 2000s. But um, I think that we have done a very good job at changing that youth decide whether they emancipate or not. Um, There are a lot of resources for youth who decide to stay in the foster care system now. When I was in the system, again, like this was new, it was still being figured out. So there like weren't any resources for me. If I stayed in like pretty much, I just received all the same same things as if I was to leave. Um, But I chose to emancipate, leave the foster care system because I just felt really burned from it. Like I moved throughout mm. so many homes. I felt like my caseworkers were corrupt. They didn't hear me. They didn't listen to me. Um, I just didn't really have a voice in the system. And there were, the foster care system was very isolating. So mm. I like went to school, if it was track season, went to track practice and then went home and just did that like all day. I could never like go to my friend's house. I could never like go to a bonfire, like, Mm -hmm. or just have like the normal experiences that other youth my age were experiencing because I was a foster kid. And they said like, I remember my caseworkers speaking over me. They'd be like, you're just a liability. Like it's just too much of a liability. And um, yeah, just like feeling that was always just hard, you know, just like hard and I always felt kind of like the ugly duckling or oddball at school because mm. I couldn't have friends like even if people wanted to be friends with me I couldn't really have friends you couldn't really do social activities and whatnot wow I, yeah I can imagine that'd be really hard on top of all of the stress that just comes from being in the system to begin with right yes which is there's so much <laughs> yes like <laughs> I once heard a statistic that said foster parents make six times the amount of decision as parents who solely have biological children. Um, And that's because like, and I think the same thing, it's probably not like six times the amount with the kids, but I think it could be similar because you have your caseworkers that you have to meet their needs and you have your biological parents and you have your foster parents and you're like answering to all of these people as a child. And there is a lot of tension in that because everyone has a different opinion about how you should be growing up who you mm. should be talking to in terms of like their foster parents. They're like, I don't want you to talk to your biological parents. There are biological parents who are like, I'm your mom. Don't call your foster mom mom. Like there's just so much tension um, in the brokenness of foster care. Wow. How do you navigate that? <sighs> you know, I think when I was so young, it was just like a survival mode. I don't think that I had like the capacity to actually be like, oh, I know how to navigate this in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. I was just like in survival mode. I moved from home to home. I wanted people to accept me and I wanted to be a part of a family. So I just kind of molded to mm-hmm. however I saw necessary for them to accept me. But then so many times, like when I felt like things were maybe starting to work, I would be moved for some reason. Yeah, I don't know if like I 
have some answer for that. I can tell you how I've navigated it when I'm adult, but not about that. I'm sure you learn the skills as a kid, fortunately and unfortunately, like the proper way and the improper way. How do you navigate it now as an adult? That is so true. I really feel like, um, being in foster care and moving from home to home, I got to learn like so many different people in very deep ways. And so now when I look at our culture, when I look at society, when I look at people as individuals, I do feel like I almost have this gift. And I know it's a gift from God that um, I don't really have a lot of judgment, like negative judgment over people. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that so many, so many times, like when people are acting in a hurtful way they do it because they're hurt like hurt people hurt people and that's such a good reason for us to have empathy I think that another thing I've just learned is that when you live with so many different people when you experience so many different cultures like even in the ways that people aren't hurtful like just the way that they're living like they have a reason and usually they have a very good reason Mm -hmm. of why they believe what they believe and so I try to always choose curiosity, like learning about the person over judgment. Mm -hmm. And I really think it's been um, almost like a superpower that God has given me because I, when you do that, right, like when you live out of curiosity and not out of judgment, I think you, I, I get to love people. Like I get to be loved by people because I'm not, I'm not putting like these heavy expectations on them to be Uh, what I think they should be. Mm. I just love seeing you light up when you talk about the foster care system and like your passion and your advocacy comes out so much just when that becomes the topic of conversation. And then you talk about how you emancipated because you had been so burned by the system. And so what does the healing process look like to bring you from burned, I'm done, let's get out to I'm passionate about this process as flawed as it is and wanting to make it better? So before I emancipated, I did come to Jesus and just understanding that God truly does redeem all things and wanting to be a part of that. Like God truly does redeem all things, but I do believe that we have to say yes to it. We have to Mm -hmm. say, yes, God, I will be a part of your work. I will step into this. I will be an instrument of your hands. If we look at scripture, we see that where so many amazing disciples, Christians, people in scripture do work is where they were most broken or where they Mm. did the most damage. Um, And so I I just saw that that in my life was the foster care system. And there were many times that when I was young, people would give me opportunities to share my testimony. People gave me opportunities to do advocacy. Like my first Mm -hmm. advocacy event was when I was like 15 or 16. I wasn't even a Christian. I wasn't saved. Like, but people saw like some light in me. They saw some potential in me. And so I know that God was planting those seeds when I was young. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think that when I just became closer to him and just read scripture more, I understood that God makes all things that were used to harm us for his good and his glory. And I wanted to be a part of that. And I've just like surrendered, like, God, use me, do what you want with me. Um, And that's a daily thing. There are some days I get really tired and really burnt out, like talking about my story, especially the really hard parts over and over and over again. 
can be very draining, but I just believe that God is doing a work. And then God is so good to show me that work. You know, I get messages on social media where people are like, oh yeah, we decided to become foster parents a year ago and now we're adopting our daughter. Or, you know, people are like, oh, your dad, what your, what your track coach did for you, that's so inspiring. And I've been a teacher for five years that has been a foster youth in my classroom and I decided to adopt them. You know, just like these, because of your dad, what your dad did. So just hearing these stories, I just know that God is working through the brokenness. He's working through the story. And people say, you know, it's because of what you've said. It's because of what your dad did. It's because of your story. But really I'm like, it's because of God. It's because God's hand is over this and he is redeeming it. And that is where the healing is for me. It's just like trusting that the Lord is bringing everything to completion. And also another very healing thing is doing stuff like this. Like you are listening to me, like people who are like, I'm going to have you on my podcast. I'm going to let you come speak. Like those, those people, I really feel like they don't understand how healing it is to be heard. Because when I was in the system, I was so silenced. Like yeah. it felt like oppression feels like such a hard word to use, but it really was like, it was just oppression. I had no voice. Caseworkers did not listen to me. Um, and I want to be able to show other foster youth that they have a voice that mm-hmm. like the experiences that they've had in the system of not being heard. That's not the end of the story. Yeah. That's so good. What are ways that we can be supportive to people who are in the system? Actually, pause. Is it an appropriate term to call them like kids in the system, youth in the system? What's the appropriate terminology? Yes, yes, yes. So um, yes, you want to start with, people say you want to start, especially foster youth, say you want to start with kids, children, youth in the system. You want to start first with who they are, like the positive thing that defines them, not the negative thing that defines them, which like I do not believe that foster care is a negative thing personally. Like I believe that it's made me so strong, so resilient, but society does have a lot of negative stereotypes placed yep. upon yep. foster care and foster youth. So yes, the way you're saying it is appropriate. And then another term, um, I think that Karen Purvis kind of, kind of started this. Um, she is the founder of TBRI, which is like what foster parents use as a modality to parent their traumatized children or their children who are traumatized. Yep. Um, look, I just did it, but it's kids who come from hard places. So that kind of um, puts kind of like an arc Mm -hmm. over children who may not be adopted or may not come into your home through foster care or adoption, but through means of kinship, through means Mm -hmm. of um, just knowing a kid, like if you're a teacher or a coach and you take that kid in. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Thank you. What was your question after that? Yeah. The question, (laughs) the question was what's, how can we be supportive of kids who come from hard places? Yeah. You know, I think when I, so let me tell you the story of my track coach, because I love him and he really helped me so much. So when I was in high school, people were just speaking a lot of negative things over me, like that I was going to be like my mom, which to me Mm. meant like, oh, you're going to abuse your children and you're not going to be like a safe person. And I heard that I was going to fall into the kind of like the statistics of youth and foster care. And so people don't know those. Um, 65 to 80% of human trafficking survivors have been involved in foster care. Um, About 50% graduate from high school compared to, it's like 85 to 90% of children not in foster care, and only 3% go on to get a bachelor's degree or higher. So people were kind of speaking like these statistics over me, and that was very, very scary. I started to believe them. 
And then my track coach, she was like my mentor. I just like, honestly, I went to the track because I just wanted to get out of the house a lot of the time. I wanted like one extra thing to do. And one day he was like, Tori, I believe that you can go on and win the state track meet. Like, I believe that you can accomplish something. You can go to college and you can get a scholarship to college. Um, and he had went with me to visit a college and it was like a lot of money. And I was like, I'm, and I wanted to run track, but like, I wasn't good. My times weren't good enough. And like, I couldn't afford, like when I remember we were sitting in the financial aid meeting and I walked out with just like tears in my eyes. Cause I was like, I'm not going to be able to afford college. Like mm. I'm not going to be that 3%. And then we went on to go to practice and he was like, Tori, like you can, you can do this. And I really held tight onto that because it was something so tangible. Like it was, it, I could see it. Like I could see what it meant for me and how I could do it. And so through that training, we became really close and he, he just ended up being like my best friend. And that year I went on to be a five-time state champion in wow. track and field, mm-hmm. got a four-ed scholarship to college. Um, and like, for some context, I was up against the defending state champion, never even been to state individually. Like it was truly a miracle of God, you know, and him just working through this man who was like, I'm going to see you as God sees you, Mm. not as society sees you. I'm going to see you, you know, not as chances and statistics, Mm. but as a person with a plan, you know, and a purpose for their life. And that changed the trajectory of my life. So my track coach, eventually, you know, I moved in with him and he became my dad. He walked me down the aisle at my wedding. And so when you ask me, you know, what can we do? And I look at that story. I love what my track coach did because he just showed up where he would have showed up every day. Mm -hmm. And he poured into the life of one kid who he knew came from a hard place. Yeah. And he just loved me, you know, and he saw me not as society saw me, but as God saw me. And I think that is really what it's going to change the foster care system is if we, as the church and as men and women who are made in God's image, if we can see foster youth as made in God's image, I think that could really change um, what the foster care system and what foster youth can become. Mm, Amen. Let's do it. Let's change the system. Yeah. Simply by the way we see. Yeah. Simply by seeing people as the way God sees them. What a beautiful, simple concept that's sometimes really hard. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very naive question. What would cause a child in the foster care system to be moved to a different home? Because you said you were in 10 different homes. No, that's not a naive question. Like there are so many reasons. I actually did a video on like 10 reasons why a foster youth moves and it like nearly went viral because so many, because people don't know, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it could just simply not be a good fit. The child could not be like following rules. So one of like the most traumatic moves is because I wasn't following the rules, but the rule was again, like I just didn't have the normal opportunities or like I couldn't do the normal things that every other youth could do. So I was 17 still riding the bus to school. And I was like, I don't want to ride the bus to school. You know, like 
I felt like that was lame. And as an adult, I'm like, okay, that's so silly. Like now, but as a 17 year old, it was like such a big deal because I was already not cool because I was in foster care. And so like just add another not cool thing on there is riding the bus with all these like elementary school kids while all the high school kids like pick each other up. And so I was living in this neighborhood and I had a classmate who lived there and she was like, I'll pick you up. And I was like, yeah. And so I would like sneak out in the morning and I would just ride with her to school. And I got kicked yeah. out because wow. I wasn't here with us. And, you know, I look back and I kind of get it because they, um, they wanted to foster. And this is another reason why, especially older kids move. They wanted to foster younger kids. They mm-hmm. couldn't have biological mm-hmm. children. Their hope was kind of to have babies, but they got the call for me and they're like, okay, we'll try it. I was their first ever foster placement, but then like when I kept breaking the rules, they're like, we're going to lose our foster license, which is true. Like if a, if a kid doesn't follow rules, like if a foster parent doesn't seem like they kind of have the reins of the kid, they can get in trouble. They can get violations Mm -hmm. is what they're called. And so they were like, we don't want to lose our license because we want to take in like younger children. So, um, there are so, and that's the reason why kids move is because, you know, maybe the they go into this home because there's an open bed um, as a teenager, but then a baby's available and they're like, okay, we want to, you know, this is why we got in foster care. We want to have this baby. And then the older youth moves on. Um, One time I was living in a home and they had, uh, it was like an uncle who moved in and the uncle was a felon and I knew it, but we all like kept quiet because I liked the home Um, and felons like can't be in the same Mm. home as, um, youth in foster care and so like once they found out that he was there I had to move and so yeah there's just like there's so many different reasons but um and some some homes they were like I knew we always knew they were temporary like they would call them and they'd be like yeah we could keep her for a week um and you just knew that and and so I kind of stayed there until they could find like a long-term placement and then there's of course this will be my last one residential treatment facilities which you're not supposed to like those aren't supposed to be forever Uh, they're supposed to be for like acute clinical needs um they're they're it's said that they're a last resort which is not really true um in most children's cases but um those are some of the reasons why children that's super helpful super helpful so I'm thinking about your bus story And you had talked about like that move being traumatic and you had talked earlier about how like you just basically wanted to have friends. And so here's this friend able to pick you up and that it means you're breaking the rules of not riding the bus. What would have been the ideal end for that story? I think my ideal would um, just be my caseworker. So one of the rules was that I could drive with someone if they gave proof of license background check and insurance and they were over 18 um and so I think maybe the ideal would just be like maybe they nix the 18 thing and my friend like do all those requirements sure and then I just like ride with the classmate um I just feel like there was never like any compromise Mm. but there could have been like I know enough about the system now that there like could have been but they always acted like like someone was going to be breaking the law and we were all going to go to jail. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, the rules are set in stone and they cannot change. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, I know enough now, like that's not true. Sure. So now (laughs) as an adult, you're an advocate for foster care and you're married. Have you and your husband actually fostered yourselves? Yeah. So we fostered for 
a few months, we started off doing respite um, just because I felt like, I didn't know if I was ready for foster care. Mm -hmm. Like just with, I'm, I think I always thought that I had to be healed. Now I realize that like, I'm just always going to be healing and I won't fully be healed until I'm Mm. eyes to eyes with God and heaven. Um, I've almost realized that like there are parts of the foster care system that bring healing to the brokenness Mm -hmm. um, as I step more and more into it. Yeah. But we started off with respite. Um, We did that for like a year and a half. And then we uh, started fostering. We fostered a six month old um, just for a hot minute until they found permanency for him. Uh, And then we fostered a sibling group of three. Um, And that was awesome. We loved them. And then they moved on to another foster home. And then surprise, we actually took in that sibling group of three. We took in their mom. Oh, wow. Um, mm -hmm. And she lived with us for about a month and a half before we, she was homeless, like for nearly eight years. And so we uh, found her home and loved on her for that half lived with us. Um, we helped baptize her, which was wild. Um, Mm -hmm. just like seeing the way that God makes things good. Um, and now we, so we just moved recently from Minnesota to Ohio. Ohio is where I grew up. And so we're living back here. And when you move States, you have to go through the process all over again. So we're going through our recertification process. Got it. How has the move been? It's been really good. Like I never wanted to move away from my hometown. I've always loved it here. And then there was like that piece of me. I felt like I finally got my family and then I had to move Mm -hmm. away from them when I went to college. And then I got married and have to move I moved even farther away. Yeah. And that always made me sad because it was like, okay, I have my family and now I don't even get to be with them. Mm Mm-hmm. So I kept like kind of bugging my husband, you know, can we just move back? Can we just move back? You know, finally it worked out with his job and he was like, yes, we can move back. I was like, nice. (laughs) Nice. So Ohio Uh, is home where you grew up. It's been, yes, Ohio. I live in the town that I grew up in. Wow. That's awesome. Very cool. And I'm glad that you're finally home with your family again. Yes, me too. I go visit my mother figure like every night and we just talk for hours. It's like a dream. I'm just waiting for her to be like, you can't come over anymore because <laughs> I'm over there all the time. Uh, she's so awesome. She's always like, oh no, I'm like, when are you going to get sick of me? And she's like, no, like our home is your home. Like you're always welcome here. And she has a pool. So the babies get to go Perfect. swimming. There. Mm-hmm. It's been a dream. Yeah. You called her your mother figure. How do you know her? So she um, started to be my youth leader mm-hmm. when I was like in the seventh grade. And when things would get unsafe at my home, she would come pick me up mm-hmm. and she'd come let me stay at uh, her house, me and my sister. So I was like 12 and my sister was like two or three. Okay. She would come pick both of us up and she would take us to things. And she was just always there for us. And she's a huge reason why I have the relationship with Jesus that I do. Yeah. Um, there, there's so many times where she just, just like, she never was like, you know, you gotta go to church. You gotta, you gotta believe in God or you're going to hell, which is all, those are true things. Like you should go to church and you should believe in God. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
she just reflected Jesus, like in the most loving, compassionate way. And that's what drew me to the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And um, even though I talk about God a lot and I love the Lord, I know because of her life, I know that if we talk about him and we don't act like him, mm. it's going to turn people away from him. Sure. And so I try to be a consistent, as consistent as a sinner can, yeah. um, a consistent disciple of Jesus, because it's truly her life that has brought me to understand the life of Jesus and love it. Yeah. I love that. I love that she's been able to pour into you from just the natural place of being a youth leader. And then as the relationship has grown from being the youth leader to being the safe place to being now the mother figure whose pool you get to enjoy and whose house you get to use as your own. Yeah. She's truly like my best friend. I love her so much. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you and your husband have three kids. Two of them are little and one of them is an adult. Um, tell us about your adult son. Yes. Um, so right now he's living in Dallas with his girlfriend. So sadly, we don't get to see him very often, but he came to us um, through the means of the church, really. Someone I was working for an organization where I worked with a lot of students um, in activism and advocacy. And one of my students reached out to me and they said, there's this young man who's living in public bathrooms and we keep seeing him. And we were wondering if, you know, we know that you and your husband are working towards being foster parents. We were, we weren't licensed at the time. Um, they're like, we know that this is what you and your husband are doing. Would you be interested in taking him in? And we were like, hmm, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Like people are like, wow, that's amazing. That's so loving. Blah, blah, blah. But really, I just think it was like young, probably not like we, the decision was not made like in prayer and wisdom. It was sure. just like, Jesus would sure. do it. Probably <laughs> let's go. <laughs> So we said yes. And then, um, the woman who found him living in bathrooms, um, and told the student who told me she drove him to our house and he didn't bring any, he had like one bag. That was all he had. It was like one bag full of stuff. He didn't bring it because he was like, I don't think I'm going to stay with these people. I'll meet them. But like, I'm not going to stay mm -hmm. with them. Sure. And then he got to our house and he was like, I do want to stay with them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, praise God. Like the whole, it was just the Holy spirit that moved. Mm -hmm. And so we got back in the car, drove two hours to get his one bag. <laughs> um, and then we went shopping and got him, you know, the stuff that he needed. Sure. Uh, Cause he didn't have many clothes or anything. And then it, so he came to us, it was probably a week after COVID. Okay. And so uh, he was very behind in school and the school was shut down, which was another reason, like he couldn't enter any homeless shelters. He couldn't, um, there was just, he, there was no place oh. that he could go into and like figure out a place to stay. Yeah. Cause this was March of 2020. We were all shut down, right? Yeah, so it was March of 2020. It was literally like, I, it might've been even less than a week after COVID. It was, it was wild. Mm -hmm. and the school had shut down and so we were like trying to get him enrolled in school yeah. and um the school wasn't even doing online at that point because we were just mm -hmm. like oh this will pass right <laughs> so and like you know we couldn't get a job because like every everywhere was just shut down yeah and then he had um there was some, there's so many things you know he had to do some volunteer work for a case that he had and like couldn't find any place to do volunteer work um so it was, but it was, it was a wild time, but like, it was kind of cool. Cause we really got to know each other and sure. we got to just figure out like how to spend time together 
as a family. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like God just like created this special time for us so we could figure out how to be together. Mm, I love that. And I love how you took the hard time that was March or whatever of 2020 and built a family out of it. Like Mm -hmm. how did he become permanent part of your family? Well, he asked us, (laughs) um, and you know, we were like, he's an adult. I think if I'm honest, I felt like if we said yes, my biggest fear, I don't think I have ever shared this on a podcast. So here you go. This is exclusive. Appreciate it. Um, I felt like if we said yes, people wouldn't take us seriously because Mm -hmm. we were so young and we were adopting someone who was like nearly an adult. Yeah. I felt like we almost would, it would be like a cop out to adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like we didn't have a lot of support from the people around us in the church. Like people just didn't take it seriously. Like he's an older kid and Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, And so honestly, that was like the reason that I was like, when he would ask us, I would kind of like shy away from answering him. Mm. And then I realized like how just through prayer, just through God being good, realized how like, you know, just self, like selfish it was. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all about me and the way people would look at me. And there was like this young man who wanted to feel like he was a part of the family forever. Yeah. And not thinking about like, Tori, do you remember when you felt that way? Mm. and people didn't have these conditions on you like people when I think about my track coach my youth leader you know they didn't know the end of the story they I didn't have to be a certain age I didn't have to be a success story they just loved me already and they just took me in and called me theirs and so I was like all the things that I'm concerned about are really it's all about me and that's Mm. not what adoption is about you know so it's so funny because when people enter adoption and when we see that they make it about them and still like God can make this good. So I don't want anyone to be discouraged when I say this, that people can go into adoption. It's about them. It's about making their family whole, um, whether they're struggling with infertility or some kind of any other struggle that makes them want to adopt a child to maybe bring healing to themselves. It was interesting because I was like stepping into adoption and like fearing it and making it about me. (laughs) And it was just like, but it was with an older kid. So it looked differently. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the same thing. I tell people not to do. Sure. And there has been so many times God has done that to me where I am doing something that I like preach to people not do. (laughs) And I was just, it was just convicting. And I was like, Lord, this is not about me this is about Sar and we yeah. love him. And if he wants a family, we're going to be it. Because the thing is we would literally be his family, no matter what, whether adoption right. was there or not. But I felt like if we did do adoption, that people would almost judge us and be sure. like, that's dumb. And I did it. Yeah. And it was like, it doesn't matter. We're going to be here no matter what. Yeah. So let's just do yeah. it. Let's just do it. Now there's just the legals behind it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now he has our last name, which is there fun. There you go. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. <laughs> So tell us about your book releases August 30th. What made you decide to write it? Okay. I decided to write this book. Honestly, I felt like it was a call of my life. Like I felt like this was the call of my life to write the book. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was like 17, 18, 19, people would comment on the things that I'd write on Facebook and Instagram. People like, you gotta write a book. You gotta write a book. Cause I'd share like pieces of my story. 
Um, I went on a missions trip and I like had a daily blog mm-hmm. and people were just like, Tori, you got to write a book. And I, I felt a call on my life when I was like 17 to write a book. Um, but again, I have always had a, a great fear of man. Um, sure. and just always thought like, oh, I probably can't do that. I was really insecure. Um, who's going to buy a 26 year old memoir. And it was crazy when I sent out my like proposal to literary agents that's that's what they told me they literally like told me my own like scary thoughts and so it was just like reaffirming that like okay this is not what God has called me to like who's gonna read a 26 year old memoir and I was 20 23 like actually when I wrote the book sure um and then I just kept you know I was like I'm just gonna use what I have right where I am just like I tell people to do that's what my track coach did Mm -hmm. and I have social media so I just kept sharing and doing advocacy and then um, got a book date, got a book deal. Like someone reached out to me through social media, which is a very unique way of getting a book deal. For Usually sure. you have to go through a literary agent. And I was like, okay, God, like I see you. Cause I really felt like I was like, God is not like, I heard God wrong. I am freaking mm. out. Like I really thought that I heard God right. And when I wrote the book, it was like initially for the kid in foster care who was like mm. me. And I just wanted them to be like, I feel like they, they could relate to someone. And I also want them to know like who they are in Christ, what God has done for them and what that says about their identity of being a beloved child of God above all else. And then I realized as I started sharing more and more on social media that like I was educating the people who wanted to be involved in foster care, but didn't know how foster Mm. parents, caseworkers who wanted to know the perspective of a former foster youth. And like the audience has just grown. So like I would initially say I wrote the book for the kid in foster care. Yeah. But now seeing what it's done, I guess I wrote the book for everybody. I wrote the book so that people would know the foster care system and hopefully that people would step into it and be beacons of light because we, as the church, as believers, we have the Holy spirit that dwells in us. Mm -hmm. And that means that we can step into the most broken places and make them whole. Amen. Where can we find the book? Okay, you can order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I know some people, I've gotten messages. I had no idea that people felt bad. Like people don't have bad feelings about Amazon. I'm still trying to figure out why. I had no idea. Um, so that so, I, can, I can tell you a little bit. The, the bad yeah. reasons are just that, um, is it Jeff Bezos who owns Amazon? Is just not a very nice guy and he doesn't take care oh. of his employees very well. Oh, dang. Oh, yeah. yeah. My, my adopted son works for Amazon. Yeah. And Does he, he have a good it. experience? He has a good, oh, great. He loves Wonderful. it. And, okay. And so like, I've always, and him and his girlfriend work there. They work there together. They love it. And so like, I always thought like, oh, Amazon's great. And yeah. like, people have been like DMing me and they're like, I will not buy your book off Amazon. And I'm like, okay, like, sorry, you don't have to. Like, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that that Star's no experience has been different. Yeah. So, um, but it, okay. If you're not an Amazon person, which is okay, we're okay with that. <laughs> Um, you can buy off Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, um, pretty much. Oh, people don't like Walmart either. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Lifeway, <laughs> Lifeway is here. It's being published out of. <laughs> I mean, all the controversials here, right? <laughs> Sorry. Amazon, Walmart, and Lifeway. We got that. We got it. <laughs> Target. Everybody loves Target, right? Everybody loves Target, right? I think so. I, I think that's Target. a safe one. Go buy it from Target. Yes. <laughs> Is it available like on your website as well or no? Yeah, there are actually, if you go to my website, Tori Hope Peterson, Peterson's S-E-N, not S-O-N. Um, there are links to where you can purchase it from different retailers, whatever retailer you prefer. There you go. Um, 
And yeah, if you want an autograph, a lot of people have been reaching out to me. I'm like, you want my autograph? Like, I am. <laughs> like, I don't know who people think I am, um, but you can order one of those from my website as well. Cool. What do you wish everyone knew about kids who come from hard places? You know, it's so hard to speak for all of us because we're all so different and we all really do have different experiences and different opinions. And I feel like I do have a really loud voice in this sphere and I never want to speak for all of us. So first off, let me say that. Um, I want to encourage you to listen to other former foster youth, other adoptees and other kids who come from hard places. There are a lot of programs that are throwing things to youth in foster care that are throwing money to youth in foster care. But youth in foster care really need, um, and kids who come from hard places, like we want relationship. Mm. We want to connect. Um, all of those things that are being thrown at youth in foster care from nonprofits and different government entities do not heal what mm-hmm. has been broken and what has been wrongfully taken from us, yeah. um, which is family and sure. which is like connections that every person it has like a right to. So instead of throwing things upon us, like, you know, it's a bandaid you know, mm-hmm. really like take the time to put salve on the wound yeah, and invest in the youth next to you. Mm. As someone, so I'm a single woman, don't have the capacity to be a single foster parent Though we did have a single foster parent on the show a couple weeks ago. So I don't have the capacity to do that right now. What are ways that I can get involved? Obviously not a teacher. So don't just have kids naturally in my life. Do you know of ways that I could, somebody like me could get involved? Of course, yes. There is something called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocate, and it's a volunteer position in most counties. And what you get to do is you have one or two kids on your caseload and you get to, it's maybe three, like you don't take a lot of kids as a CASA. It's not like a caseworker's job um, where you have, you could have like up to 50 to hundred kids. Wow. It's really small caseloads and you get to advocate for those kids in court. And I really think it's the most important job in a child's caseload because their job is to solely advocate for what's in the best interest of the child. And they have no conflict of interest. They answer to nothing else other than to advocate for what is in the best interest of the child. Um, So CASA is such a great option. You could literally look up CASA in like whatever county you're in, just put it in Google. It'll probably pop up. And then you probably have to do, again, it's different in every county. There are some counties that have five hours of training. There are some that have 30, but every year I have an internship. My husband and I hold an internship and we require the person who comes and interns for us to do that CASA training. And it's been so cool because it's very educational. Like even if you just do the training, it Mm -hmm. is very educational about the foster care system. And we've had one girl who's actually continued to do it. She had um, a young boy on her case plan um, and worked throughout his whole case until he went to permanency. Wow. So it was just really cool to see God work through her and that voice plan. Another um, thing that you can do is look into things like big brothers, big sisters, mentorship programs. Again, Google. Google's your best friend. Mentorship mm-hmm. program in your county or in your city. You'll probably find a bunch that come up reach out to them, be persistent. um, And you'll probably have to do something like a background check and maybe some training. But then after that, you usually don't have to do retraining. And then you get to invest in the lives of, yeah, those kids, you're right. Kids aren't always right next to us. Um, But there are some good programs that I think, you know, you can get into that can put kids next to you like that. Wonderful. Thank you. 
would you be willing to pray for us? Yes, I would love to. Awesome. Holy Spirit, I just pray that your presence is felt. I pray that uh, the people listening here feel your comfort and that they know your love for them above all else. They know that they are beloved children of God. And if there are people listening to this who feel abandoned, lonely, left out, God, um, I pray that you let them know, even if they have been kicked out of a home, if they have felt unwelcome, that you have created a place in a kingdom for them. They're not welcome in a home on earth, but Lord, you have created a kingdom for mm -hmm. us. God, I pray that they feel the welcoming of your spirit. And God, I pray the people who have had spoken over their identity that they do not belong, that they know that they are your beloved children and that you call them to your heart. You open the door for us. We love you. We thank you for your heart. And I pray that you make us beacons of your light, that because of your love, because of your opening, because of your welcoming to us, that we become people who open doors, that we become people who create spaces for the marginalized, the left out, the abandoned, and the lonely. God, break our heart for what breaks yours and make us more like you, because that's all that matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I love getting to hear guests pray because I feel like it shows so much about their relationship with God, but That's to be true. honest, yeah, I was so excited when you opened your prayer to Holy spirit because oh. no one ever does that. They always pray to like God, the father or to like Jesus or whatever, or like Holy spirit just gets left out. So I always get really excited when I hear people open their prayers to Holy spirit. So thank you for doing that. It just made me happy. That's so funny. I, um, I just, <laughs> One time, like, heard someone say, Holy Spirit, like, we welcome you into this place. Mm. And I was like, I thought, like, what's a prayer without God, um, like, among us? But you know, real. like, we gotta invite him in. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so that's what I always try and do. Just be like, I'm bringing you here. Like, you are welcome Love here. it. Love it. It's my favorite thing. It's my absolute favorite <laughs> thing when I hear people open their prayers to the Holy Spirit. I don't always do it either, oh. um, but I love it when I hear it. I have one final question for you. Yes. If you could be any inanimate object, what would you be and why? Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, probably a table Ooh. Um, because I want to be a place where people gather, mm. um, a place where people can eat, a place where people can play games um, and just be together, a place where people cry um, mm. and laugh. Yeah. And again, just be together where they break bread together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A table. Yeah. Yeah. I with feel lots like that's, of chairs. With lots of chairs. A big table. A big there you table. go. Yeah. I feel like it's such a visual representation of who you are as a person too. <laughs> wanting to be that gathering place, wanting to be that safe space for people to be able to gather. And then there always being room for one more, right? Always one more chair, always yeah. space for one more to yes, gather, always exactly. the ability for one more to be in the community. Do you ask that question after every podcast? Because now I have to go back and listen to people's answers. Just about, yeah. That's so interesting. What would you say? Um, Ooh, good question. No one's asked me back before. Um, I would say like a thumbtack in some really fun place because you just get to witness the things that no one else gets to witness. Ooh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Which is, I think also very indicative of why I host the show that I host. 
because it is like getting to be a thumbtack in someone's life just for 15 minutes or an hour or whatever it is to get to hear their story and their perspective. I get the little inside view. That's so cool. Um, and I'll tell you a secret. You can go back and listen to whatever podcast episode you want, but you're going to be episode 74 that comes out on the 22nd episodes are every two weeks, episode 75. Yeah. So the one right after yours is going to be all the highlights of what everyone has said. Oh, fun. So that'll come out. Cool. I don't remember the date off the top of my head. That'll come out go um, September 5th, September 5th. I'm going to listen to that. Love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We will link to your website so people can pick their retailer of choice to buy your book um, and to your socials as well. I have loved getting to watch you on Instagram. That's how we connected, but then also to get to know you now in this Zoom real life situation. Um, I love the joy and the hope that you operate with. I think that you do um, amplify your name, the victory and the hope. I think that your mom was right when she named you that. And I absolutely love how it displays in your everyday world and in your advocacy and in your wanting to always have space for one more person and to be that gathering place, that safe place, that table. So Tori, thank you so much for your time today. This has blessed me and I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Katie. It was an honor to be here. It was a joy. As always, big thanks for listening. I sure hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tori Hope Peterson as much as I enjoyed getting to have it. She is so much fun and I thoroughly enjoyed getting to chat with her. Be sure to connect with Tori on Instagram and Facebook, Tori Hope Peterson, and of course at ToriHopePeterson.com. That's T-O-R-I-H-O-P-E. P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N. It would mean a lot to both Tori and to me if you picked your favorite retailer and pre-ordered her book, Fostered. The book comes out August 30th, and we would love it if you pre-ordered it before that. Obviously, you can still buy it after that, but if you're not familiar with publishing, pre-orders are a big deal. So it's a really simple way that you can offer a big support. We're also going to be giving away one copy of her book on my Instagram, so make sure you're following at Katie Axelson. And then, of course, like, share, comment. You know how these things work. One of the questions we're going to be asking is, what is something that you have learned from Tori or something that you're still chewing on from this episode? So I'll share mine. I'm chewing on what she said about, I'll never be healed, I'll always be healing. That was revolutionary for me, and there's so much more I need to go unpack with Jesus. So while I go do that, you can go do that as well. And we will see you again in two weeks for, yes, the compilation episode of Everyone's Inanimate Object Answers. We'll see you then. Have a great day. Know that you are loved. Know that you matter. And I will see you soon. Bye-bye.